So we're going to have um, two readings now from, from the Bible, one from Deuteronomy chapter 5 and uh, one from Luke 18. And I'm looking to see who's coming up to read. Thank you, Philip and Judy. The first of our readings is from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5. Deuteronomy being the fifth book in the Bible. And this is Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And reading chapter 5 and the first 22 verses. We come back to the Ten Commandments. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear Israel the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath for the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns so that your male and female servants may rest, as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honour your father and your mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you, in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbour's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. These are the commandments the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to your whole assembly there on the mountain from out of the fire, the cloud, and the deep darkness. And he added nothing more. Then he wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me. 
now let's turn to the New Testament to Luke's Gospel and chapter 18 okay. so Luke's Gospel chapter 18 and beginning at verse 18 this is Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler a certain ruler asked Jesus Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honour your father and mother. All these I kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad, because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with men is possible with God. Peter said to him, We've left all we have to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. I was at a uh, one-day conference this week um, at St Ed's in Oxford, which was done by the South Central Gospel Partnership, which we are part of, it's a group of uh, life-minded churches across denominations. Uh, seeking to support each other running training programs and also looking to plant new churches together. And this particular conference was on Augustine and the heart. And if you don't know who Augustine was, he was a very influential uh, Christian writer, orator, theologian of the, the 4th century. Uh, one of his most famous books was the, the Confessions. You may have come across that. Um, which is really his testimony of how he came to faith. Um, and he writes here how he looked for fulfilment in so many different worldly things um, until he came to this conclusion. And writing to God, this is what he says. He says, You stir man to take pleasure in praising you because you have made us for yourself. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. Our heart is restless until it rests in you. His life, like many people's, was a search for pleasure, but he looked in the wrong places. He longed to, to love and to be loved. And he came to the conclusion that all human beings are lovers. The question is who or what do we love? Because nothing apart from the love of God will satisfy us. 
This morning we're looking at the Ten Commandments which Jesus sums up as follows. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. These commandments are about love and God gave us them because he loves us. We're in the middle of a sermon series in Deuteronomy which um, we're looking at different aspects of God's character. And the reason we're doing that is because we want to know God better. We want to love him more. Because in him our hearts find rest. And if you're somebody here who's not yet a Christian, I do hope that you will find in him the true fulfilment that you may be looking for. If you are already a Christian, the ultimate way in which we will grow in our faith is not by saying, look, I really want to be a better person. It's by finding that fulfilment in God. Because as we do so, all the, the worries that we have, all the frustrations that we have, all the attempts to find fulfilment in other things disappear and we're left with that deep-rooted contentment. We're so far to look at God's character, look at God's generosity. The early chapters of Deuteronomy focus on how much he's given his people. He's given them this land, this abundant, prosperous land that is full of prosperous cities, of wells and olives and vineyards, none of which they've built for themselves. He's giving it to them as a gift. And we look how that prefigures the gift of Jesus Christ, the greatest gift that we can ever receive. We look at the uniqueness of God. He is the one true God. And therefore all other gods are false. And one of the unique things that comes up about God in this passage uh, this morning is there in verse 4. It says, The Lord spoke to you face to face. He is a personal God who has revealed himself to us. And he's done that in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, this morning we're looking at a gracious God. And you may be thinking, I thought we were looking at the Ten Commandments. Now, what has God's grace, is his undeserved loving kindness, got to do with a bunch of commandments? And why are we doing this on Pentecost Sunday anyway, when we should be celebrating uh, the Spirit? Well, most people know, whether they're Christians or not, that the Bible contains Ten Commandments. Probably very few will be able to tell you all ten of those. Um, some may be able to get to three or four um, do not murder, do not lie, do not steal and then maybe struggle a little bit and yet it's the Ten Commandments that have shaped most people's view of what Christianity is all about a lot of people have in their mind that Christianity is about keeping rules and commandments and so for most people that is a big turn off now, if we're Christians, we know that is not what it's about. That in actual fact, that there is a great freedom to be found in Jesus Christ. I'm just going to be looking this evening at, in a more practical way. How do we respond to people who ask us that question? Is that all these rules in Christianity just restrict my freedom? Well, it's one we're going to concentrate on what they tell us about God's character. What do they reveal about him? And where does grace come into all of that? And where does the Spirit come in? Well, the first point I want to make is that the Ten Commandments reveal God's perfection and humankind's imperfection. Before God gives his people the first commandment, he sets the context by establishing who he is and his relationship 
with his people. And as he does that, he reveals a lot about himself. Have a look at the first a couple of verses there, just before the Ten Commandments in verse 6. He says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. One verse, but in that we see that he is a personal God. He's not some kind of impersonal force. He relates to his people. I'm the Lord your God. And that is what the covenant is about. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. It also shows that he is a, a sovereign God. He has the power to choose his people. He has the power to rescue them, to, to protect them. He brought them out of slavery in Egypt. And as we go through the commandments, many of the other different aspects of God's character come out. He shall have no other gods before me. Again, his uniqueness. He's the one true God. You shall not make for yourself an idol or an image. Reveals the holiness, the, the awesomeness of God. God is too big for us to reduce him to some sort of man-sized God, not some sort of creative thing. That's what the story of the golden calf was all about, if you know that one. No image of God would do him justice. That would simply be a human interpretation of a God who's far bigger than our minds can cope with. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Again, reveals his holiness, his majesty, but also his faithfulness to his people. Because the name God gave to his people, Yahweh, translated law, is about knowing him. It's the name by which they were meant to know him. The name they treated with great reverence and respect. And so to misuse the name of God, it's not just about using God or, or Christ as a swear word. It's treating his holy character, treating his offer of salvation with contempt. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. To keep something holy is to, to set it apart from, from other things. Keep it special. Again, a commandment which reveals God's holiness, but also his compassion. As Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Use that day for spiritual rest. Make sure you include all of creation in that, you know, the servants, the foreigners, animals. God is a God of compassion. And then we have the rest of the commandments, 5 to 10, which are about how people should relate to others. But again, they reveal aspects of God's character. Um, it reveals that he values relationships, respect for one another. That he values life. He's a giver of life. He values faithfulness in relationships. He values respect for one another's property. He values honesty and truth. He values contentment in what we have. So what do we do? with these commandments then. But we're going to follow them, of course. And we could keep them all outwardly. But what God is most interested in is not an outward observance of the law. It's an inner attitude of the heart. For example, Jesus made clear in the Sermon on the Mount uh, that what God was really interested in is not just the extreme of taking someone else's life, but that we never show anger towards somebody else. His interest is not just that we never commit 
an adulterous act, but so we never have lustful desires. So we never wish we had something that somebody else has got. And as you look at these closely, you soon realise that it is impossible for a fallen human being to perfectly keep these commandments, because we all have sinful desires. We are by nature lawbreakers. For it says in 1 John 3, it says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But the great thing is that that is part of the purpose of the law, is to show us that we are lawbreakers. It is to show us how far we are from God. If we didn't have the law, if we didn't have God's standards of perfection, we wouldn't know how far we are from him, would we? And that's why Paul describes the law as good. This is what Paul says, it is, it is, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. As you know, the, uh, the World Cup is about to start and uh, what normally happens with the World Cup is that some, somehow we convince ourselves that we are the best country in the world of football. Maybe it's because we invented football, um, maybe it's because we've got the Premier League, maybe it's because we won it once many years ago. So basically we know that we're kidding ourselves, don't we? Because we, we come up against a team with world class skills and a different league from us and we see just how far short we are from perfection. And that in actual fact, we're just an average country on a par with Honduras. Now, fortunately, this time my expectations are lower, and um, you never know, it's a funny old game football, isn't it? <laughs> it's an act of grace, it's an act of kindness for God to show us his perfection before he shows us our imperfection. And he doesn't do that so that we can simply feel bad about ourselves. If that was the case, there would be no grace, would there? He does so so that we see our need for salvation. And having demonstrated that need, he then gives us a saviour. But the grace of that act, when Jesus came, didn't start then, it started way back when God gave us the Ten Commandments. That is the exciting thing about reading these. The Ten Commandments reveal God's perfection and man's imperfection. But they reveal God's grace in Jesus Christ. Well, how do they do that? This is what Jesus said in Matthew 5. He said, Do you not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets? I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. And then he goes on to say um, that the law is still valid. He says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now what he's also saying is that he will carry out the law perfectly. Now he will carry it out in the sense of obeying it perfectly, but also fulfilling its purpose. He lived it perfectly, explained it to, to the people so that they would love it and obey it. And if they thought they were already obeying it perfectly, then he very graciously pointed out to them where they were going wrong. To the story of the rich young man that was read earlier, who came to Jesus and then asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And he says, look, you know the commandments. Go and keep them. Uh, and the, the, the young lawyer says, well, all of these that I've kept since I was a boy. And I think Jesus, he can see right into his heart. He says, you still that one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And what was Jesus doing here? You know, surely selling everything is not one of the Ten Commandments. What, what was he doing? What is the first commandment that we read? He said, I have no other gods before me. This meant God was his money. He was worshipping that before God. And so when Jesus tells him that, he says, when he heard it, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now Jesus, using a figure of speech here, just to emphasise how hard it is if we're trapped by wealth. And that should be a warning to all of us. But before you sit back smugly and think, well actually I'm okay with money, that's not really my problem. <coughs> the disciple would grow quite quick to realise that a rich young man's God might have been a love of money. But actually, for them, it was probably something else. Because we are all made as worshippers. And if we don't worship God, we'll be worshipping something else. Maybe success, it may be popularity. It may be the desire to be somehow needed. Don't pretend that there's nothing in your life that competes with God. And if you don't know what it is, then ask God to show it to you. And pray for his help in dealing with it. Because they point trying to hide and pretend that you're okay. As you know, it was recently my birthday, and thank you all for your cards and uh, <coughs> presents and uh, condolences. Um, it was also my sister-in-law's 50th birthday recently as well, and we had a sort of joint family uh, celebration. Girls and often did their, their girly sort of thing, and their boys went and did some paintballing. Now, I've never actually done that before, and um, <coughs> there's a picture coming up. Now, as you can see from that picture, I was at a distinct disadvantage from uh, everybody else, the birthday boy. Not the sort of thing you want to be wearing, you want, you want to remain inconspicuous. But even then, I was quite good at um, finding cover, hiding, and then taking you know, pot shots, sniping the other team, and it was all going well. Until um, so they came to one game and they said, right, all the birthday boys at one end, put your guns down, you've got to run to the other end and back. And everybody else, off you go, free, free range to shoot you. I've still got a bruises to, to show for it. <coughs> we can hide our weaknesses, but God can see them. They will be exposed. So let's be honest with God, with one another. And let's seek his and one another's help. Disciples realised that they were just as imperfect as a rich young man. And so they asked Jesus, who then can be saved? It seems like an impossible thing, doesn't it? Who then can be saved? And Jesus made this incredible response. He says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And the great news in that passage is that although we cannot live perfect lives. We cannot save ourselves. 
Salvation is possible because of God's grace. Jesus pointed out people's failings, but he also offered them the gift of forgiveness. And the reason that they and we can be forgiven and saved is that Jesus obeyed the law perfectly. And so his death was sufficient to pay that penalty for us, for our failure to keep the law. So what we sometimes don't fully appreciate though is that the fact that Jesus came to set us free from the penalty of sin doesn't mean that we are no longer under an obligation to keep it. When Jesus told the, the woman who was caught in adultery, he said, I do not condemn you. He said, go now and leave your life of sin. We still have an obligation to keep God's law. But this is the other amazing aspect of God's grace that the Ten Commandments reveal. They reveal God's grace in the Holy Spirit. Let's um, turn briefly to Ezekiel chapter 36. We've got a church Bible, you'll find on page 868. Ezekiel 36, verse 24. And the uh, prophet here is giving the word of God to the people of Israel in exile in Babylon. And uh, this is what he says. For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people, and I will be your God. There's a message of hope that is the heart of the book of Ezekiel, but also the heart of the, the Bible in many ways. And it's pointing to the work that God promises to do in the Holy Spirit. Sin is a disease of the heart. It can't simply be washed clean by a quick shower. It's deep within us. And as we said, it's the desires that make us want to worship other things, other people before God, the idols. And God says, I will cleanse you from all your impurities. Which is quite a polite translation in many ways. It says, I will cleanse you from all your filth. And to get rid of it, for us to become presentable before our holy God, requires some pretty drastic action. And that is the work of Christ that he's done for us on the cross. But having been forgiven, having been made right with God, for us to lead holy lives, we need the Spirit of God working in us. To remove all those corrupt desires, and to fill us with a desire to glorify God in all things. And the image that Ezekiel uses here is that the heart of stone, a heart that is hard, it is cold, it is unfeeling, that has no sensitivity towards God, and replacing it with a heart of flesh here that is soft and tender and responsive where the spiritual sense has come alive and is now aware of what is pleasing or displeasing to God. It's not a, a mechanical part that you put in a robot to make it work and do what you want it to do. It's a spiritual living organism that knows what is right and wrong that knows what the will of God is. And it's an act of God 
that has enabled us to be changed. He hasn't just given us the law and told us to follow it. But through the Spirit, he's saying he will move us to follow his law. He's inclined us to walk in his ways. And he's given us the wisdom, the will and the power to do the good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. That is what the Spirit is doing within us. He's our teacher, he's our guide, he's our sanctifier. He's making us more like Jesus. He's giving us the power to serve him. Now you may be thinking, this is great, but you know, I am a Christian and I'm really struggling with a lot of sin in my life still. How do I deal with that? It's great that I won't face the penalty for my sin, but it doesn't help me with that day-to-day struggle of getting it rid from my life. Why is the Spirit doing that? Well, what I'd say is, the first of all, if you have become a Christian, you are a new creation. You've been reborn. You're now heading in the right direction. It's like before you were totally off course, you were heading down the road of destruction. You didn't really know it at the time. You wouldn't have known until you got there where you were going. Now your sat-nav has been reprogrammed. You're on the right path now. You're going in the right direction. And you will end up in the right place. And you can rejoice that one day you'll get to your destination. You'll meet Jesus Christ in person, face to face. But the journey there will not be without difficulty. It also won't be without reward because Jesus will be with you. Everything that happens to you on that journey will be used by the Spirit to make you more like him, to prepare you to when you meet him. And that is why the church exists as well. Church is not like a sort of bachelor night, an Oscar's night, a lot of successful people turn up. Um, they're all staying there wanting the other person to win, but really they're all in it themselves. Um, it's about awards. We're more like a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, all coming together, sharing our struggles. But we're there to support and encourage one another in our Christian walk. And we need to be honest with, with one another. We need to be honest with people outside the church as well and not give them the impression that we are a group who think they are our perfect, who've got it sorted. That you can only join us if you've got your life sorted. We can be honest about our struggles, but also tell them about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We have a gracious God. His commandments are a, a gift for us. They enable us to know him better. They point to our need for a saviour who we have in Jesus. And they reveal God's grace in the Holy Spirit. who changes our hearts. He gives us a desire. He gives us the power to follow God's laws and to please him. Praise him for that. Let's have a moment of quiet just to listen to what God may have to say to us individually. And then, and then I'll pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God of love, that your commandments are all about your love. They are that, that undeserved kindness that you've shown towards us. They point to your Son, Jesus Christ, who has come as our Saviour, that we all need him. And the gift of salvation and forgiveness of the offers is there for, for each one of us. And Lord, we pray for those who haven't yet received it, that you would open their hearts to receive from him. 
And Lord, for those of us who have, we thank you again for the gift of your Spirit who is making us more like you each day. Lord, we want to obey your law, we delight in your law, because it reveals so much of who you are. We want to grow deeper in our, our love for you, our knowledge of you. We want to follow your ways more, more perfectly. And we do pray this morning that the Spirit would fill us again. That he would give us a greater desire, a greater ability to be like Jesus and to have the courage to tell others about him. God, we thank you for the gift of eternal life that we have and we long for others to know that too. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just close now. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.